0: Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the Appearance Psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Nadia. And I'm Jade. And in this month's episode, it's on online
1: interventions within health psychology.
0: Right, and we will be delving into aspects like what are online interventions within health psychology, who typically uses them, why do people use them, along with possible pros and cons.
1: Yep, and although it's not particularly Christmas themed, I think there's something in here for everyone really. And with our ever-growing online usage, it makes sense to discuss how support is being provided online. Plus, We'll be doing this episode with Santa hats and a splash of malt cider, which you've just warmed up in the microwave, Um, as we are from Bristol, which is a city, if you don't know, in the southwest of England and the home of cider.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and since you're from the southwest of England, Jade, can you give us your best Bristolian accent? Okay, here I go. (laughs) Alright, my lover, we got some mold cider here. We have it's proper good. It's <laughs> proper good. Proper good. I'm not even gonna try because it'll be embarrassing and probably offensive. So, uh, <laughs> um, and then so just so everyone's aware, the Christmas hats were Jade's idea. Took a little bit of convincing, but um, she gave me one. I reckon. What can I say, Nadia? I love Christmas. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, there's love, and then there's well, there's you, Jade. <laughs> Special case. <laughs> yeah. I also love Christmas, by the way, i just not in, not a, not a forcing Santa hat scenario. Well, it's just it's November still. So. <laughs> Joining us on this mole cider filled journey are Carl's very own Claire Hamlet and Dr. Jennifer Heath, who will be talking about the online interventions they've created. Yeah, and also
1: congratulations to Claire on recently passing her biver woo. And, woo, and getting a promotion to research fellow as well. Right, also awesome. big deal. Big deal.
0: So without further ado, let's get started, shall we? sounds good to me. (laughs) That's actually quite good, (laughs) Northside. Mmm, delicious. Yeah, not bad. Online interventions in general are anything that provide support and advice to people online. And today we're talking about online interventions in health psychology. Health psychology, according to the British Psychological Society, is the psychological processes of health, illness and healthcare, which covers topics like sexual health, mental health and, you've guessed it, body image and appearance-related trauma and concerns.
1: Yeah, and online interventions within health psychology include things like wipey face it, which Claire's going to be talking later on in the episode. Yeah, exactly, and other things like peer support online interventions, which is where people gather together online for mutual encouragement and exchanging information, like an internet support group, really.
0: Yeah, exactly. And online interventions in health psychology can take a range of different forms. For example, they can be modular programs that a person works through over a period of weeks. The example which kind of springs to mind here for me is Headspace app, the
1: mindfulness Mm -hmm. app.
0: Yeah, exactly, just like that. Or they
1: can be very informal and led by other peers online. And even peer-led interventions don't all function in the same way. Some groups are facilitator-led and others are simply person-to-person.
0: Absolutely. Online interventions in the area of health psychology can also target different audiences, so like families, peers, or even the individual themselves. Mm. So basically,
1: there's a whole host of online interventions within health psychology that are available in different formats for different people and all targeting different things.
0: Right, and this is useful because a report from the Pew Research Centre in 2010 found that 57% of patients with a chronic disease or illness use the internet for health information, including things like listening to podcasts. Exactly, and I can already tell you where you're going with that, Nadia.
1: But I can see what you mean. Even on this podcast, we have provided information on conditions like acne, breast cancer, burns, to name a few really. And these are all very informative for people who may have been... or going through those things or even if you know someone who is
0: yeah I think our podcast is a great example of how online platforms can help provide information to to others don't you Jade agreed yeah (laughs) and I think it's probably worth saying also that this is only the case when the source is legitimate and provides accurate information, which yep. we do. Yeah, completely agree, we do. Evidence-based, definitely.
1: And I know we're going to talk about that later when we mention the possible problems with online interventions within health psychology. But I think it's important yeah. to highlight here too that legitimacy is an important factor.
0: Yeah, in the, in the world of fake news, right? Indeed. Yeah, so who then is most likely to use health psychology-based online interventions? Well, as we have established, anyone can use support online. Yeah, providing they've got access to a computer or smartphone and have internet access. Good point, Nadia.
1: Yeah, Um, but what various research tells us is that on average, people are 52 years or younger with typically at least some college education, Um, which kind of makes sense as these are also factors which often influence internet usage in general, really.
0: Right, and it's important to identify and know who's using or who's more likely to be using online interventions for two reasons. I think one being it's really helpful to know who's using the programme so we can develop content that's going to be most engaging to the people who are most likely to use them. But also it's identifying people who are not likely to use them and see how we can be more inclusive with our programmes and kind of reach them, access them and make them more appealing to people who are to kind of provide support that way as well. Yeah, definitely. Two very good points, Nadia. And this kind of ties in with what makes a successful
1: online intervention within health psychology, as one very important factor is the content meeting the needs of the users. And in order to do that, the content needs to suit the people who would likely be accessing it or want to access it.
0: Yeah, and one good way to make sure this happens is to actively include people who most likely access the online support, potential users, we would call it, to be involved in the process of development. Mm-hmm. So I've... it's co created.
1: Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I mean, it kind of sounds silly to say involve people who would use the online support in the development. But it can be easy for people to just assume they've covered everything, so it's really good practice to include a range of people, such as the users and even health professionals, to allow a minimal level of oversight when it comes to developing or using these online materials.
2: Yeah, there's a whole
0: discipline now, isn't it? You do, uh, UX, UX work.
2: Yeah, sure pushing that, that forward,
1: yeah.
0: definitely. So we've discussed what an online intervention is, who typically uses them, and what makes a successful online intervention. Yeah. But I think now we should hear about an actual online intervention, don't you, Jade? Yeah,
1: great idea. And so now we we'll are hear from Claire Hamler and Dr. Jennifer Heath. Claire is a research fellow here at CAR and has, to our delight, gratefully stepped in for Dr. Heidi Williamson who has completely lost her voice, bless, and therefore, as you could tell, unable to do an interview. (laughs) But thankfully, Claire has saved the day as she was part of the team who evaluated YP Face It, and YP Face It being an online psychosocial intervention. So we'll hear more from her. Also, Claire was on our previous episode on bariatric surgery and body image. Um, So luckily for us, she's back. And this time, she's with Jen, Um, and Jen will also be talking about her online intervention Jen is a fellow PhD student at CAR, and to link to a previous joke that we've had on the podcast,
0: um, a fellow Zoom member. Uh, I think we've explained it before, but I think you should do it again, Jade, some listeners might not have a clue what we're talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, good point. So basically our PhD office, where Jen also works with us, has glass, where people who walk by like to stare inside, kind of like a zoo. Um, and we've labelled it the PhD Zoo. However, update... Jen has recently put up big conference posters of ours. Um, so now we're hidden zoo animals. <laughs> um, they have to knock and enter if they want to see. And uh, when people stand and stare, instead they're actually reading about our research. Win-win, don't you think, Nadia? Exactly, Jade. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Although just thinking about it, we haven't given Sabrina and Maya a zoo animal. animal. They're not zoo animals. So we've got two new PhD students at CAR: Sabrina and Maya. Maya's working on uh, something to do with visible difference. Sabrina's working on something to do with social media. I yeah. I think 2B, 2BC, I think, with both of them, they're yeah. brand new. Developing where they would like to take their PhD, which is
1: great, great times. But we do need to give them an animal.
0: Yeah, and event- eventually we'll have them on the podcast. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen out for them. I wonder what I'm mm, uh, mm. Anyway, sorry. We need to get back on track. <laughs> so back <laughs> to point. the topic of online interventions. Jen has created an online intervention as part of her PhD, which provides support to parents of children with burns. So let's hear from Karen Jen. Awesome. Great.
1: Hi Jen, hi Claire, welcome to Appearance Matters the podcast, great to have you. Hello. Hi, thank you so much as well Claire for standing in for Heidi, given that she can't actually talk right now. (laughs) Um, So first question for you both is,
2: why do you think people access support online? Well, I think often people search for sources of support or resources because they can do it privately and in their own time Mm -hmm. when they're doing it online as opposed to asking people. Yeah, So this can be really important when the topic that you're seeking support about is of a sensitive nature or if you're busy, like we all are, but particularly parents when the only time they get time to look for something uh, might be in the evening or at night when they can't sleep or perhaps they're feeding a baby. So you can get online on your phone and search for answers to any questions that you might have. So within my research, parents of children with burn injuries told me that they often search for information online but they rarely found anything and what they did find was out of date, or they weren't really sure of how trustworthy it was. So parents spoke about how painful it could be to talk about what had happened to their child, and having information online would mean that they could access it without having to disclose what they'd been through, which could be really upsetting when they had to do that.
3: Yeah, really good points. And um, what about you, Claire? Yeah, many of um, Gem's points resonate with me too. So um, evidence-based online resources are particularly useful in overcoming some of the barriers that actually prevent individuals' accessing support. And why, you face it, appeals to young people who don't want their peers to know they need help. Obviously, appearance is quite a sensitive topic to discuss with adults, and there's still a degree of stigma attached to seeing a psychologist or counsellor. Um, they don't need to miss school, for example, or they can don't need to travel long distances to see someone face to face. They can also access the advice and support at home and at a convenient time to them and revisit aspects when they need to.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it makes it far more accessible for these people in the most convenient times for them. And it reduces that barrier of having to mm. take time out and go face to face to meet a counsellor, for example. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. So kind of talking about online interventions. Um, You've both developed or been a part of online interventions within health psychology. So can you just tell us a bit more about those interventions that you've developed then?
2: Yeah, so recently on National Burns Awareness Day, which was in October, I released a website supporting children with burns. It's a website that's designed with parents and carers specifically to support families of children and young people who've had a burn injury. So many different burn care professionals as well as members of the British Burn Association all contributed to the website and it contains information about the emotional impact on parents when their child is injured, it gives stress management advice, it gives information about supporting the injured child and any uninjured siblings that they have, Um, it gives top tips from other parents and also accounts of what parents themselves have experienced and Further on in the website, there's links to other sources of support and also helpful resources. So the website's not interactive itself, so there's no opportunity to talk to another parent or anybody else, any professionals on there, but throughout each page there's quotes from parents about what they've experienced and also information that they want to give to other parents that might help them with specific issues
1: great example and um, we'll link to that on the episode synopsis Um, it's a great example of an online intervention and do access it have a look Um, another good example of an online intervention is why you face it which Claire you were a part of and helped to evaluate so um, do you want to discuss and tell us more about that
3: yeah of course so, I'm part of a team including researchers, clinicians, and young people that have developed YP Face It, which is an online intervention for 12 to 17 year olds with any appearance affecting conditions or injuries who may be struggling with appearance related anxiety or bullying. So, it's the youth version of Face It Online, which was originally developed for adults with a visible difference by Alison Norman when she worked at CAR. And it has interactive features, videos, testimonies from positive role models and celebrities. And the programme has seven sessions that teach social skills to manage difficult social situations such as teasing and staring. There's also strategies in there to improve social confidence, to manage anxiety, challenge difficult and, and helpful thoughts and also to try out new experiences that they may have previously been avoiding. For example maybe speaking to someone new at school or going for a Saturday job or starting up a romantic relationship. So users are asked to complete one session a week and complete activities in between to practice new skills so it does require a certain degree of motivation to complete um and obviously teenagers have busy and often chaotic lives and online interventions aren't suitable for everyone but so far we've had very positive feedback from parents clinicians and users in a series of acceptability studies both in the UK and overseas and young people have fed back that as a result of yp face it they appreciate that they are not alone that others have very similar concerns and they've also been able to manage social challenges with more confidence and also take on more challenges, such as starting a new part-time job. So one of the key benefits of YP face is that it can provide immediate appearance-specific and trustworthy advice and support to those who might otherwise be struggling to find it. Or they may be on a we- long waiting list for face-to-face therapy. That sounds great. And so are
1: you guys evaluating this right now?
3: Yeah, so we're now trying to make the programme more widely available um, by collecting um, some evidence of its impact on key psychological and social outcomes for young people. Awesome.
2: Mm, and um, supporting children with Burns, the website, has received great feedback so far from parents and professionals and in its first 20 days it had already been visited 545 times Wow! by more than, <laughs> more than 400 people from different countries, like 21 countries worldwide. Um, so I think it's doing great so far. I'm really pleased um, with those findings that I've got to date. And I've got mm. a questionnaire linked into the website as well so people can keep providing feedback and letting me know if they think bits need changing or if they want to contribute anything to the website themselves and then they can do that through that. Yeah, I hope that more people continue to find it helpful.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And it kind of shows how easy accessible it is you know, globally and to people you know, wherever they, they want to access it. And it's great to have that feedback. So kind of like your uh, website, Jen, Supporting Children with Burns, YP Face It will also be linked in the synopsis of this episode. So do check them both out and provide feedback. That'll be excellent. Um, and final question, we've discussed your interventions, which are good examples of online interventions. But in your opinion, what makes a good online intervention
2: then? I think for me, it's one that dresses a need or a gap in the market. The one that's developed with the target audience and other stakeholders to ensure that it's acceptable and it does actually address the issue that's been identified like it it addresses all those needs.
3: Mm. Okay. Yeah, I agree, agree with that and they also need to be appealing to the target audience um, both visually and in tone so we've had feedback from users that they appreciate online interventions that include the voice or feedback from a friendly character avatar or clinician that guided them through the intervention and they could provide motivation or acknowledge tricky areas um, within the programme. And of course, these tools need to be easy to navigate and, and this is something we rigorously tested um, during the development and evaluation of why you face it.
2: Yeah, and I think on top of all of that, I think it's also just really important that your homepage on any online intervention looks trustworthy. So you need to know that who's made the content you need to know that it's credible and you can do that by putting relevant logos on like the university that perhaps contributed to it and links to different members of the team and what their experience is and who they are Yeah. yeah
1: and one clear thing that's come through with the idea of a good online intervention seems to be really getting a lot of feedback from the users the people that would access it and making sure it's suitable for them and yeah, then what their feedback is and what they think mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah, it's awesome, yeah. The most important. definitely well thank you both so much for coming in. thank you so much claire for stepping in That's for okay. hiding it was great to have you and hear your thoughts thanks, thanks. thanks. thank you Excellent, it was great to hear from both Claire and Jen, two great examples of online interventions in health psychology which can help to support a range of individuals and if you are interested in accessing these online interventions, I know I said it in the interview but I will say it again, please do have a look on our episode synopsis, Supporting Children with Burns which is Jen's online intervention and YP Face It as Claire described are both great examples of online interventions so please do check them out and provide
2: feedback
0: yeah absolutely so then before we wrap up this episode and our last episode of the year let's just go through some of the pros and cons of online interventions in general
1: yeah Um, sounds good to me i'll go first actually I'm going to start with online anonymity, which in this context I would also call trolling really. What I mean by this is online, if there are places like group forums or comment sections, there is the possibility to be held less accountable for what you post. And so on these interactive spaces, people can actually post quite mean or rude or harmful comments, which they might not say in person when people can actually see who's saying it.
0: Mm, Yeah, definitely. And I think then related to that point, there's the opportunity for misinformation. So people might be like pushing or selling creams or products that may not have an evidence base behind them. But when it's within this space that's kind of been created by experts, people might be more likely to believe it perhaps. Yeah. And it's kind of, I, I don't know, almost like taking advantage of people in, an, in a vulnerable space. Definitely, yeah, agreed. And also on the point of misinformation,
1: which we also kind of touched upon earlier, there is a lot of misinformation online. And as I'm sure a lot of us have done before when we've just Googled symptoms of something, we can get a tons and tons of information. And some of it can be really incorrect or just actually
0: quite harmful to people. Yeah, just like leading people to really worry or, or kind of following... Yeah, like, advice that's not... And catastrophize, uh, you know, symptoms think the worst really and so a good example of online medical misinformation is when a celebrity was crusading against childhood vaccination several years ago and publicly stated her mummy instinct in inverted commas provided her with the credentials of dispensing medical information even though she did so via a blog she's not a medical professional and this is where people still access information on online yeah good point Nadia and yes
1: the sheer amount of information and credibility of the quality of this information is really difficult to kind of decipher sometimes when you're sat behind that screen. Um, And also a con regarding intervention materials delivered online is that users don't benefit from the kind of therapeutic relationship that is provided during a face-to-face therapy. So that screen being kind of a big barrier. Some have suggested that a blended approach might offset this con, uh, like a
0: phone call to check on progress and check that there's no difficulties. So a little bit of both. So you have the online and then have the it, the, the person, the person yeah. and the expert kind of interacting. Definitely, um, and that really relates to then a pro as well. So it's kind of two sided, both pro and con. Is the accessibility of online intervention so? Online interventions can be really helpful if people are living in rural areas, for example, aren't able to travel, don't have the resources to travel, mm. and, and see a, a therapist every week or, or however often they need to. Yeah, definitely. And that's also a point that Claire and Jen
1: made in the interview earlier. But like you said, Nadia, if you have both of these things, this can also be a positive as you can conveniently access this information from the comfort of your own home. Um, it's quite cold right now, so you don't <laughs> can stay cosy, wrapped up warm. Um and without the need for travel to a particular place. Uh, also, if one group
0: or online intervention isn't helpful, you can just quickly try another one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You're not as invested and locked in to uh, an individual, then, or as like a set up an existing group. And then another advantage of online interventions, and it kind of ties back in with one of the cons that we spoke about earlier, right at the beginning anonymity, that can have a positive effect too. So, for example, seeking out information without having to disclose personal information people might feel more comfortable more like safer in that environment less embarrassed or concerned about the fear of judgment from others as both Claire and Jen mentioned earlier yeah
1: definitely this can also make people more likely to seek out the information in the first place if they feel safe when they can actually do it yeah exactly um, and I guess the final pro is that it has similar benefits to face-to-face interventions, as people can get informational support, emotional support, empathy, and guidance to improve ways of coping. Really.
0: Yeah, and I think it's about finding what works for you. I think people are going to have a personal preference. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, and then it's what what's accessible and available to you. So it's about working it out. Yeah. Um, and online interventions help give you that option don't they whether that's suitable for you or not yeah completely so on that final note i think we're at a good place to end this episode and our content for the year yeah well this is a good point because this sand hat is really getting itchy i know i'm getting so hot i did say i was wasn't sure whether sand hats were a good idea jade <laughs> didn't i say it you've got a good point Nadia. yeah (laughs) anyway thank you so much to our guests claire and jen for joining us today yeah and
1: always let us know what you think of this episode on twitter via at car underscore uwe or you can now speak to us directly on our instagram accounts we will put our instagram
0: names in the show notes For sure and as our Christmas gift to you and a Christmas gift to yourselves make sure you don't miss a future episode and hit the subscribe button on wherever you get wherever you're listening to your podcast you're listening to this. I like that it really is the ultimate Christmas gift. We are just a gift that keeps on giving aren't we? We we genuinely are.
1: (laughs) So please join us next time in 2019 scary right (laughs) yeah um we hope you all have a wonderful christmas break wherever you are and a very happy new year now i'm taking this blimmin santa hat
0: off yeah me too happy holidays jade and you cheers nadia (laughs) cheers (laughs) another year